You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Hello, and thank you for joining me for yet another edition of At The Mic. I'm the host of this podcast, Keith Malinak, and today my guest is the ubiquitous Chad Prather. If you spend any time searching for common sense on social media, you know who Chad Prather is, as he has quite the following from folks who like someone that tells it like it is. In fact, you probably know him from WatchChad.com. Chad has lived an incredible life as a preacher from the pulpit and as someone who has spent over 20 years in third world countries. Well, he and I sat down, we talked about growing up in the South, Atlanta Braves baseball, and how he likes his hash browns at the Waffle House. So thanks for stopping by. Here's the one and only Chad Prather. Chad, thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to be here. You, you better be. You know I that, braved right? COVID-19, <laughs> some metal surfaces, which apparently COVID germs live on that for at least 12 hours. Okay. And now I'm walking around trying to figure out what all metal surfaces I've touched, a doorknob. Yeah, and since he's dating this podcast, either this will air and the virus will have run its course, <laughs> or we're all dead, and since I uploaded this, it'll still generate. Awesome. Oh, it'll still be here. Very good. You know what? This podcast is going to last just like the virus. <laughs> and if this virus doesn't last, there'll be another one. Okay, very good. Chad Prather, a member of the Blaze TV family, but we will get into his background because he was somebody long before he walked into this building. You were uh, born in Ramsey, New Jersey, which I find that interesting. Yeah, How did that happen? Most people do. That's <laughs> the one thing about my Wikipedia, which you know how Wikipedia is, uh, only about 80% of it is... Um, right <laughs> and so uh whoever wrote that deal put that i was born in new jersey which is a fact uh-huh. just happened to be where my mother was whenever she went into labor gotcha okay. yeah, i lived there four months of my life very well all right and then you ended up you were in augusta georgia Augusta, Georgia. were you raised then yeah in augusta so your entire childhood my entire life very this, cool basically the same house Oh, nice. My entire life, yeah. Okay. So you and I have that Georgia connection, because mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Atlanta, suburban Atlanta, Marietta, Georgia. Marietta. How much time did you get to spend in Atlanta? Did you come over there a lot? Uh, yeah, a good bit when I was a kid. Of course, I was a big Braves fan. Mm-hmm. So we went to Braves games every summer. Of course, you got to go to Six Flags. Yes. You got to go out to Douglasville, Georgia, or towards it, and go to Six Flags. Yeah. And I went to the University of Georgia, so I'd go to Atlanta a lot of times on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Then I lived in the Atlanta area for a while. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, as an adult. I, I, too, lived in Marietta. Very interesting. I lived down in uh, Stockbridge, which is South Atlanta. That's down in the sticks. Mm-hmm. Stockbridge, Rockdale County, which I was just across the border into Henry County, which, for those of you who know. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I was in Henry County. I moved over to Rockdale County, which, okay. of course, is Conyers. Well, everybody is somebody. Yeah, in Conyers. In Conyers that's right. <laughs> now, uh Stockbridge, that's uh, Collective Soul, right? That's uh, Collective band. Soul, yeah. yeah. I knew the boys when we were down there. Very nice. My small world, my manager now in L.A., who's been with me now for, I guess, th- we've been together three and a half years, he found and started Collective Soul. He he was their manager. Very cool. There's a lot of stories, Collective Soul stories that he's got. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You know the Christian rock band Third Day? Oh, yeah. Okay, so they uh, used to do the uh, music they were the music for our Wednesday night uh, youth group services. Okay, yeah, that's they made cool. Yeah, so that Mac was and cool. the boys, I, yeah, Mac, I know all of them. Yeah, summer of 96, mm-hmm. Mac Powell was my boss at a day camp at Russell Street Baptist Church. How funny. And it wasn't uh, just a few months later when I saw Mac and the boys on the cover of a magazine at a Christian bookstore, and I thought, wow, 
they made it. Yeah, so I just cool. did a uh, uh, with Mark. Uh, the guitarist, mm-hmm. I just did a show with him. I, gosh, time flies. I guess it's been about a year and a half now, two years ago. Seems like yesterday. That's cool. He had a new book that came out. So, Oh, wow. That's good to know. Very cool. Okay, so we have the Atlanta connection. That's awesome. And then that's where it all, that's that's it. That's that's the only thing. Oh, you don't know. We haven't. might find all kind of things in common. <laughs> we never know. Okay. So you went to the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. What did you major in there? Mass communications. I went there yeah. to do broadcast journalism and wound up not doing that. Wow. Until I was 40. Okay. See, <laughs> we almost crossed paths there. Yeah. Because I told my dad, if I get accepted to the University of Georgia, that's where I'll go. Yeah. And lo and behold, I was accepted at the University of Georgia, but I reneged on that Didn't and ended up in Nebraska. Well, yeah. I had a girl I liked. <laughs> and by the time she got there, we weren't together anymore. Aha. So, yeah. Okay. So you went for journalism, mass communications. But where did you take your career after college then? Well, I spent a lot of time uh, while I was in college going and uh, traveling to third world countries. Yeah. And doing a lot of mission work and uh, humanitarian aid work, medical work, those kind of things. And so out of that, I wound up pastoring a church, of all things. Yeah, how does that happen? Most people don't just, you know... Well, wake up one day and they're like, you know what? I'm going to pastor a church. Here's the deal. You know, you, you get, uh, you you go speak somewhere. You go speak at a church. Uh-huh. You, you speak to these organizations and people realize that you have this gift for communication. Well, I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> what else is there to do? You ought to be preaching. You ought to be teaching the gospel, the uh-huh. Bible. Very good. You ought to be bringing the thunder. Even the rocks will cry out. <laughs> you know what I Wait mean? Wait a minute. It sounds like you also went to a Southern Baptist <laughs> church just like yeah. me. Uh-huh. Well, we call it a sort of Baptist church. It was pretty liberated. Uh, they, they would, they, you know, there was. Uh, they didn't get offended if you held your hands up in the air. Uh-huh. These days, nobody gets offended by that, right? That's the thing. We've all gotten liberated, but uh, back then, that was pretty uh, radical. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that was the thing. Well, let me just tell you, I did that for the better part of uh, a de- uh, twelve years, and. I, what I learned through that experience, that very hard breaking experience, is that yes, I do have a gift for communication, and yes, I can teach the Bible. Uh huh. But but I am a horrible pastor. <laughs> Wait, why do you say that? <laughs> well, because most most people, uh, I'm not good with quote unquote tending the flock. I see. I'm sort of a black and white prophetic, if you will. I see things as far as the bottom line is concerned. Uh, most people don't want their problems fixed. They want their problems understood. Uh-huh. I'm not good at understanding your problems. I'm just going to <laughs> bottom line it for you and tell you this is what you need to do to get your ass out of the gutter. That's fun. And people don't like being told to get their ass out of the gutter. No, you know, definitely not today. Yeah, especially when you're in Sylvania Baptist Church in Sylvania, Alabama, population 408. Uh, and 400 of them go to that church. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they, they were ready to hang me out in the front oak tree. Uh, they were wanting to hang me from the church sign. Wow! At that point, oh no! I lasted that. That was the first church I pastored, and I told them, I said, "You don't want me." And they said, "Oh, we do." You know, they send the pulpit committee out to hear you. Oh no! Oh, we want you. We need young and life. And I said, "No, I promise you, you do not want me to come pastor your church." <laughs> yes, we do. We'll do whatever. We'll do whatever. Lasted uh, twelve months to the day. Twelve months to the day. Yeah, uh, little Sylvania. Alabama. Sylvania, Alabama. Can you see it? Up on Sand Mountain. Sand Mountain? Sand Mountain, Alabama. Right there. You go You go up from Fort Payne, Alabama, 
on Highway 35. Uh-huh. You hit Rainsville and take a right, and you're going to run right into Sylvania in about four miles. You you are prophetic. Yeah. Because at the beginning of this conversation, you said, we may discover we have a lot more in uh-huh, common. Exactly. Yeah, my grandmother was born on Sand Mountain, Alabama. Do you remember what city? Do you remember what town? Um... You got Henniger, you got uh, you got Section, you got Dutton, you have <laughs> Rainsville, you have Crossville, uh, you have. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of them. Maybe Arab Pisgah. That might be it. I don't know. Yeah, but she always talks about Sand Mountain, so I'll, I'll ask Nana. It's interesting. Yeah, she's. 94. They used to hang the signs up there. That says, you know, Coon, don't let the the sun go down on you here. That kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. They, li- they live a solid 30 years behind the rest of the world up there. And I'm not least. being mean. I'm being dead honest. Mm-hmm. And anybody from up there, well, they won't argue with me. They know what's up. Wow. So why, why did they chase you out of town? Uh, I, for everything I told them. There you go. Everything I told them. We, it, they, said, they said, you know what? Can I get this, Keith? They said, this church is growing too much. <laughs> Wait, what? No. Hold on. I've never heard a yeah. church say that's a problem. They said, you're, this is a stepping stone for you. We know that you're going to move on, and you're going to leave us with all these strangers. This is our church, and you're just using it as a stepping stone. <laughs> so on the Sunday that I resigned, there were 40 – no, no, there was there – was, yeah, there were 40 first-time visitors. Now, this is, a, this is a town of 400 people. 40 first-time visitors that had never set foot in the door of that church that were in in attendance that morning. I mean, we... You would think they would think that is awesome. Oh, they would have loved it. They would have loved it. But you changed their town. Yeah. Or you changed their church. How dare you? Yeah, right? How dare you? Oh, before I forget, uh, this is the uh, part of the podcast where I I get to take a picture of you. Oh, yeah. Hey, let me smile. Here we go. Chad Prather. Okay, we'll be using this picture later. For those of you who don't see the picture, I am wearing a cardigan. And don't forget, I'm sorry I didn't do this at the start, watchchad.com. You got it. And that's where you get access to everything. Because mm-hmm. you do a show every day, a uh, YouTube channel. Every day. Every day. Come on. And everything you need with Chad is there at watchchad. Yeah, we got a okay. new single out, too. You can get it where music is offered called He's Still Your President. He's Still Your President. Yes. Catchy little tune. Anyway. I saw you made that as like a nice little ringtone as well. Yeah, it is ringtone. <laughs> so on good. Apple, wherever ringtones are offered. <laughs> so from Sylvania, how old were you there at Sylvania? I was a kid, man. I was 23 years old when I went, 24 when I left. <laughs> wow, you spent so much time there in yeah. Northeast Alabama. Yeah. So- then I started a church. I started a church uh, out of that. Because that's exactly what the Deep South needs is one more church. Uh, that's what I did, Rainsville, <laughs> Alabama. That is now a um, auto parts store. Oh wow! Yeah, the How little neat. building we Does were. Does it in. have a steeple still on the no, auto parts? No, no, it was just a little storefront deal. You know, that's what we do when we start these churches. It was just an empty building, and we went in there and turned it into a church. And and uh, I was there. It grew. It was a pretty big church, and and uh, passed that on to somebody else. Wound up moving to Atlanta. Uh huh to pastor a church there that a friend of mine, had, he was moving to California to pastor a church, and so they brought me on there. And that was the beginning of the real true decline. Mm. I inherited uh, just some, some wonderful people, but just a nightmare of a situation. Yeah. So anyway, that was that. And then uh, that ultimately brought me to Texas because I was so burned out that some mentors of mine who were out here, they just said, you need to come out here and be with us. I see. And heal up because you're just fried. Mm-hmm. That was 2003-ish. Okay. And and we'll pick that up there. But before we get any further away from your time in running a church, <laughs> my wife is a pastor. 
And so there is a lot of stuff that goes on in the behind the scenes, obviously, at a church. Have you ever seen the ABC show? And I forget the name of it. I keep telling myself, I have to go and watch this because I bet there's truth in there where they behind the scenes of a church. Mm. And it was labeled as, oh, my gosh, this is blasphemous. You can't have this show. And it lasted maybe six or eight episodes on ABC before they pulled the plug from public pressure. Yeah. Are you familiar with that show whatsoever? Yeah. Or okay, yeah. does it match up with your I, Well, that's the thing, is if you could truly, if people could truly see behind the scenes at a lot of churches, mm-hmm. a lot of their leaders, church leaders' lives, if you could see a lot of things that happen behind the scenes in your quote-unquote megachurches, your American megachurches that are run so commercially, right. you would be sorely disappointed at so many things that were uncovered. The behavior of your quote pastor, your I mean, all the way from oh my god, I can't believe they had a glass of wine, they drank a <laughs> beer, to oh my god, they have sex at home. Awesome. That's an image I can never leave. Uh-huh. Okay. But I've seen it firsthand. It's a horrible. I mean, it, it's it. First of all, it's horrible that you don't let people be human just because they're leaders of the church. And you know, my brother years ago, he's ten years older than me. We we're playing golf one day. He goes, Well, you got it pretty easy. And I said, Okay, do you have enough problems for your life? And he goes, Yeah. And I said, Okay, well take a thousand more people's problems, put all that on your shoulders, and now carry all of that. There you go. I said, It's a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need a glass of wine. Yeah, more than that. <laughs> or a shot of whiskey. <laughs> you know what? Time to think of it. Hey. Ah. Oh, look at there. <laughs> all right. So. Little lead slinger. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in the trusty drawer for uh, days when we're talking about... Give me about- that. I think I have the COVID. Yeah. Give me that. Let me when hold that We're talking thing. about global pandemics. Yep. This is, is what you whip out here. Yep. Mm-hmm. I should have never, honest to God, read the... Uh, now, wait a minute. I should have never... Don't be getting your germs all over my bottle. It's whiskey. Now, I'm going to get you something. Give me a cup. You know, I started reading, because I didn't even think to care about it. I, I started reading the <laughs> symptoms of the coronavirus... I don't call it the Wuhan anymore because apparently um, MSNBC has said that calling it Wuhan virus is racist. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what they do with the Spanish flu, but whatever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Zika or Ebola. I mean, all named for, you know, rivers Yep. Uh, over there. But anyway. Okay. So you, you got us in your uh, life story to Texas around 2003. Pick it up there. Yeah, so I uh, came out here. I was working with a ministry. That's that's kind of where I started being able to put some of my my passions to work. And that was I was able to come out, did a lot of uh, editing and video work, and and producing some things. And I was doing it for a pretty large church in the DFW area, producing commercials, and you know, because that's where everything went. Is how can you entertain the audience while they're you know the congregation, whatever, right? So I was doing that, and I had a wife who was miserable, and she did not want to be in Texas. Mm. Uh, She honestly didn't want to be with me. Mm. And so after a few years, I just, in order to try to save the marriage, we moved back to the southeast, back to Alabama, which is where she's from. She was actually born and raised on Sand Mountain. Wow. So I'm trying to get her back close to her family, seeing if that would work. And I'm not putting it all on her, saying it's all her fault, because I was a driven man, still am. Gypsy soul, passionate person, always hustling. Uh-huh. She's an introvert, wants to kind of be there and stay at home, and she'd been through a lot of things herself. Wound up, wound up, just couldn't save the marriage. So we ended up uh, divorcing. I was in Atlanta. She was in Alabama. I was work- had to go to Atlanta. You can't. There's no jobs on Sand Mountain, Alabama, so you can't mm-hmm. live up there, not unless you work in the plant or the factory and 
Chad doesn't work in the plant or the factory. <laughs> so it's just not my gifting, pal. <laughs> so I wound up back in Atlanta and uh, was back over there. Lived over by the in the condos by the Atlanta Country Club up there in East Cobb. Yeah, Indian Hills. There you go. <laughs> so that's that's where I, yeah, I was out there for a few years. And then finally, I was working for a Fortune 300 company. And I said, Texas is where I need to be. It's where I'm supposed to be. That's where my destiny lies. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I moved. I moved back to Texas with the same company and based myself out of Wichita Falls. I, I, it was just as close as I could get to Fort Worth, which is where I consider home. Uh-huh. Um, so Wichita Falls, and then uh, it got interesting from there, really interesting from there. Okay. So let's pick that up there. Is this so? When you're talking about Atlanta and moving here, is that the sales executive job that you mentioned yeah. um, to me off air? Okay, yeah. so sales executive. So you're back in Texas. How's it getting interesting? So I uh, was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was miserable. I, I, I just you know be that was the only few years of my life that those four years working for that company was the only few years of my life that I ever had a boss. Right, because if you're pastoring churches, you're doing those kind of things. You kind of you, you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you answer to the congregation and these people, blah blah blah. But you're still your own boss. So I wind up, uh, you know, and it was just frustrating to me. Right, so it's frustrating to me. I'm doing all of this and just going crazy, miserable. So one day I'm at the gym. I had and I had since remarried. Okay. Well, and this yeah, is Jade. I had since remarried to Jade. Yeah, okay. my wife now, my lovely wife Jade. Uh, because, and she was one of the motivating factors to come back to Texas as well, because I was come out here and I'd met her. And so we'd kind of started a gotcha. long distance relationship and I'm okay. like, you know, long distance doesn't work for my needs. So I'll move back to Texas. <laughs> so I moved back to Texas and we wound up getting married. Okay. So, you know, a few years have passed. I'm at the gym one day. I'm not in the gym. I'm at the gym. There's a huge difference. And I was sitting in the parking lot and I called her on the phone and I said, Hey, I'm going to quit my job. And she said, it's a really good job. And I said, well, I'm going to quit. I'm miserable. She said, if that's what makes you happy, then do it. And I said, well, thank you, because I've already quit. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I have an idea to go out and make a living just being myself. And she said, what's the street value on your personality? I said, well, we're about to find out. What year is this, roughly? This was, gosh, when was this? This had to be 2000. 14. It's 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. It's 2014. So time has moved, yeah. right? Some right. time has gone on. Uh-huh. And um, so it was literally, it was weird, man. It was like it was just supposed to happen. You know, Friedrich Nietzsche said, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche said that you can only wear two faces to the world for so long before you forget which one's the real one. <laughs> and I'd been doing that. I'd been trying to be everybody but myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost, it's weird when you just decide to be yourself that the clouds sort of open up and that divine providence comes down. And so right on the heels of that, I had a new television network that reached out to me, the president of the network, and he said, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I see some stuff you do on social media. You're always posting funny jokes and stuff. He said, have you ever done television stuff? And I said, yeah, I've done television and radio. He said, I want you to come in and do a screen test for a new show we're trying. So go in. They immediately brought me on, and the rest, as they say, is history. I did three seasons of a television show with that network traveling around the country and uh it was a travel show and it was the first season of that show that the president of the network walked into a conference room with all of the talent for the network and he said you know what we need we need a viral video and i said well we all need to win the lottery too like that how does that you don't just do it you, you don't 
And so I, at the time, I was kind of going out, and it was kind of therapeutic to me. I'd, I'd just pop my camera phone up on the dashboard of the truck, and I would talk to it while I was sitting in traffic about my <laughs> thoughts of the day, right? You know, you'd have a couple thousand people who might watch it. It was kind of Fort Worth-ish, famous, famous. And so, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You filmed this in Fort Worth in traffic. How did you keep the camera steady with all the potholes you were running? <laughs> Isn't that right, <laughs> dude? I was in Canada this uh, last week, and and I said these roads are worse than Texas, wow. and, and and they got thirty below weather. Uh-huh. Uh, so that ought to tell you how bad Texas is. Um, so you know, I, I was kind of Fort Worth famous in that regard. People were kind of looking forward to my daily therapy sessions. And uh, one day I'd gone into a Target to buy a birthday card and had a horrible experience, came out to the parking lot, sat in the truck, and talked about it, comparing Walmart to Target. (laughs) And the thing went viral. It went crazy. And so after a couple million views of that thing, I thought, I wonder if I could do that again. Next week, turned around, did it again. And this is on Facebook, right? And this is separate. From what you're doing for the TV oh, completely. channel. Oh, huh? completely. Thing blew up. So I'd go into the network, and I would go into their headquarters, and I would say, you know, which is based in Fort Worth, by the way, and I would say, I got a viral video. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Here's Chad talking about his numbers again. I'm like, no, I'm just telling you, we need to capitalize on this. Uh-huh. Well, what they wanted was one of their pretty model girls that hosted the other shows to go viral. They didn't want some doofus like me. Oh. They they wanted one of the girls to go viral, right? Okay. So chauvinists. <laughs> and so anyway, so anyway, I was the one going viral. And they they were like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I did it the following week, did it the following week. Next thing I know, I'm getting famous, man. I'm getting Facebook famous. Yeah. And and people are I mean, I'm I'm getting twelve hundred, three thousand friend requests a day i mean it finally to the point where facebook had to shut it down and said we're not allowing any more friend requests to come your way because you're getting way too many notifications and we know that's interrupting your life that's what facebook sent me a message oh my goodness we we sense that your life is being interrupted by friend requests (laughs) and notifications so we're going to stop them now if you were a flaming liberal yeah then i'm sure they would have been like yeah yeah, let it keep let it keep going have at it So the thing grew, my personal Facebook page grew to like 1.6 million followers. You can only have 5,000 friends, but it grew to 1.6 million followers. Now, this was a different Facebook in a different day. Things have changed. Okay. So anyway, uh, that was, that was 2000, early 2015. Went all the, I had lightning in a bottle, had no idea what to do with it. Uh-huh. No idea what to do with it. And then one thing led to another, and uh, a friend of mine came to me. He's a comedian. And he said, dude, you need to put this on stage. Sell tickets to what you do. Nice. And I said, well, I'm not really a comedian. He goes, don't matter if they're buying tickets. Just go do what you do. If they laugh, they <laughs> laugh. So he and I went out and did 45 sold-out cities that in 2016. Wow. And so kind of launched me on, on a whole new career path of of – going out doing live shows which i again i'd spent my all my formative years on a stage being the quote funny preacher Mm -hmm. so now i'm the funny quote comedian and i still don't consider myself a comedian i'm just a storyteller and i know how to make people laugh in the middle of it awesome so you know i'm still doing that to this day now here we are 15 16 17 18 19 2020 and here we are still doing it with, you know, keeping our calendar full, going out there. And, and I'm doing less shows, actually, this year because I'm, I've done so many shows in the last couple of years. I'm just tired from traveling. Yeah. Traveling 200,000 miles a year and by air and, you know, going and going and going. 
constantly somewhere every weekend. And so that's it. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that's been an incredibly weird journey to take something. Now, here I was with a show on cable television, and suddenly social media outpaces cable television. So you quit cable television to just pursue a career in social media. Welcome to the 21st century. Wow. And so people introduce me a lot of times as an internet sensation. I say, that's a 21st century way of saying I'm unemployed, but I'm popular, <laughs> right? And that's virtually true. <laughs> if I don't go out and hustle, that's virtually true. true. I'm, I'm unemployed, mm-hmm. right? So I'm out there doing that. I was able to use those numbers, you know, because let's face it, social media followings equal eyeballs. So why not sell stuff? So we started selling T-shirts, started selling hats, merchandise, and then uh, you know one thing led to another, and da 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 da, speed bump, speed bump, speed bump. We're doing a podcast based out of Beverly Hills, California, and it's an audio only one week. And so one thing leads to another. You start making all these great friends, and guess what? You're on Blaze TV, Woo! and that's all through the connections I made through that process and that that's journey. Cool. Well, so I mean, what a crazy journey it is any regrets along the way that you care to divulge here well i don't know that i do you know the first i'll put it this way key the first the first year i was doing it so let's take 2015 it was almost like i had this vision if you will i'll get spiritual on you here i had a vision all right the oracles spoke to me i was given birth to this baby right i didn't know what it was going to be didn't know what it was going to look like it was just going to be this ooey gooey thing that was being birthed out (laughs) That was 2015. In 2016, it was like, okay, I have this baby here. It's cute, but it's still kind of bleh, just pukes on itself and stuff. I don't know what's going on. It's developing. Right, it's developing. (laughs) It's starting to form into a a thing. And then in 2017, I was like, okay, now i got this toddler. It stumbles on itself. It walks around. It hits its chin on the fireplace. (laughs) But but it's moving. It's moving. It's walking. It's cruising. Uh, Maybe even takes a few runs before it falls. And then 2018, I was like, okay, now we got a kid. And this kid's out there playing. It's doing some things. 2019. I was like, okay, we got this adolescent. Hmm. Feet's too big for the body. You know, it's just kind of awkward looking. And then (laughs) I was like, okay, 2019 was a weird year. It was a great year, but it was a weird year. And now 2020, I'm like, who knows? Maybe this thing's going to get hormonal and really out of control. I don't know what 2020 holds. (laughs) But it's been an interesting growth. That's a great way to put it. It's been an interesting growth. Yeah, because, I mean, it's at that point where it can be somebody – well, okay, so, you know, and I've got five kids, and my youngest is 13, and, you know, at 13 years old, you can kind of just let them go. You can leave them at home alone. You don't have to watch them constantly, and that's kind of the way I feel about my career uh-huh. is I'm kind of at that point where it's like, you know, all right, it's, it's, the, the course is set. What happens happens at this point. All I can do is just kind of guide it along. Um, I can't go out there and rehab the baby. It's mm-hmm. already been birthed. So when you ask about regrets, no, I don't have regrets because what I tried to do was I tried to live with that vision and say you don't grow a, a, an adult overnight. So everything I've done, and there's so many people out there who became, quote, viral sensations who just made a ton of money right up front. They went out and became famous right up front, and people kept going, well, why aren't you doing those things? And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not smart. Now, if I was 25 years old when this happened, that might have happened. Mm-hmm. But when it happens when I'm, when I'm 43, years old it got a little more wisdom to me so i built it incrementally slowly without trying to have that big splash because in my opinion once the ripples die on the big splash it's gone Mm -hmm. right i'd rather have that trickle effect of the fountain that just keeps on going and going and going will that work i don't know but we'll see Watchchad.com if you'd like to check out all of his stuff oh yeah you do yeah you do 
These are great analogies. You talk about your children. You have five kids, mm. and they range from 13 up to 22. 22, yeah. What, what are we talking about? Boy, girl? So my, oh, I'll start from the oldest. 22, 20, and 16 are girls. And then I've got a 13-year-old son. Jade has a 13-year-old son. So he's my stepson. Okay. And I consider him my son. He's very close to him. Good boy. And it's funny. You got kids. You know how they are. They're all unique. Mm-hmm. And you just got to let them be unique. My two oldest girls are at two different universities on the other side of the country. They're doing great. Uh, and it's fun. It's fun to watch them. Being a father of so many kids, what has been the biggest challenge that you see like a common thread in raising all kids? Like what could you tell a parent, whether they're going through it right now or a prospective parent, what's going to be the biggest challenge that they face in parenthood? Well, I think the biggest thing is, I, see, I think life is made up of three parts. It's, it's identity, destiny, and legacy. So you got to know who you are. You got to know where you're going. And if you can do those things, you'll leave behind something worth, you know, honoring and repeating. But the biggest thing is I have my identity and my kids have their identity and I can't put my identity on them. And that's a hard thing for a parent to do. I don't live vicariously through my kids. I want them to be themselves. And I think that that's and you got to be honest with them. Like my my 20-year-old daughter, she is on a dance scholarship at her university. Oh, she's wow. a she's a ballerina. She's a ballet dancer. She she she's a dancer, but she focuses on ballet. And so my other two daughters, uh, they took ballet as children, and we let them take ballet as children, but we also had a conversation, and we said, this is not your future. <laughs> you don't have the same thing going for you. Now, you have other gifts, and we want to find those, uh, but not projecting an identity. And I, that, you watch American Idol, and these people come on, and they can't sing. Their parents just didn't tell them that. They lied to them. Right. Now they're getting humiliated on national television because their parents did not tell them, this is not your destiny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this yes culture, participation, trophy culture. So that just saying no to your kids um, in, in a healthy way, I think, is a big, big deal. It's a hard thing to do, but it's a big deal. But wow. there's no way they're going to find – because it's up – why are these kids these days graduating from college with a degree in undecided? Mm. They don't know who the hell they are. And it's because the parents didn't help shape that identity. And so they don't know where they're going. There's no sense of destiny. Yeah, I like that. Identity, destiny, legacy. Yeah. Very good. If you ever get any downtime, which I'm not sure that you do, (laughs) (laughs) but if you ever do, what are some things you like to do? What do you enjoy? Uh, I don't have hobbies. Mm -hmm. I've tried to think of that. I don't have hobbies. I, I think life in and of itself is a hobby. I'm an extrovert, so I like people. So I have to be careful because I will take my downtime and I will spend it with people. Uh, you know, I think that when I'm dead, they should stuff my body and put me in um, a museum with a plaque that says, here's Chad in his natural habitat, and it's me at the cocktail party. Right? <laughs> That's just where I fit. I, I just love people. And I love conversations. I love getting to know people. The more, the more, quote, success I've had where I have to deal with crowds on a weekly basis, I find the need to pull away. Hmm. And I, that's probably a lot of just getting older and tired. And I, I mean, like, I'm not old. I'm just older. It's just a fact of life. I mean, you find yourself digging in your ear with a truck key because that's the closest orgasm you've had in six years. It just feels good. Uh, that's an old man move. We didn't do that when we were 23. So, uh, the, yeah, uh, I try to pull away. Naps are a fantastic thing. Just just relaxing, chilling. I love, to, I love to go to dinner with my wife. I love going to dinner, just sitting across with a bottle of wine and having a good conversation with my wife. To me, that is the 
pinnacle of just relaxing and detaching, and that's what I enjoy doing. That's great. And that, that's not that's not just trying me trying to get some nookie. That's just that's a fact. You're just being honest. Okay, I'm happy cool. to go home and go to bed. Uh, what <laughs> what kind of music do you enjoy the most? Uh, country music. Mm-hmm. I like I like country music. I I, I like all of it. I, I grew up listening to the Grand Ole Opry through a staticky AM radio with my grandfather on Saturday nights. And so that kind of got ingrained in me, the Willie Whalen, Merle, George, and George, you know, the Conways, the Patsy, the Dolly, the Loretta's. I, that That's my stuff, you know, I like that. And then those who can kind of hang on to that heritage, because I think country music is the backbone of America. It's the blue-collar story. It is the Monday through Friday hard-working man, keep your head above water while you keep your family afloat. Uh, these days, quote, stuff coming out of Nashville, quote, country music, uh, is party music. It's not work music. It's Friday night, Saturday night party music. You know, uh-huh. girl in cut-off blue jeans on a diamond plate tailgate with a truck backed up to a bonfire in the middle of a pasture while the speakers go boom, boom, and she sips a little something out of a sippy cup. I don't like that stuff. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is the this is the most, honestly, the most difficult question when I remember to ask it of my guests here on at the mic is what's the last song you had on repeat um well i i would i could facetiously say my song the one we just released he's still your president <laughs> facetiously um, i mean he's we, still your I, president but but yeah but i yeah that's the answer that's the answer bro yeah. <laughs> what was it i was just the other day it was um oh son of a gun i was on the airplane oh you know what it was it was uh john mellencamp's acoustic version of small town oh wow which is a i love hearing acoustic versions of songs when they take a, a song and just break it down i do too yeah and you can hear this. so yeah it was john cougar uh, john mellencamp's uh acoustic version okay. of small town very good cool. stuff you've got three dogs mm-hmm. and their names are willie cash and june see there that you says go it all right there. right there <laughs> you go that's awesome yeah willie was born on willie nelson's birthday oh april 28th uh so he's coming up on three years and so my wife wanted to name him uh, uh waylon and i said no you can't do that you can't name something waylon until you've named it willie until you've got a willie uh-huh because there's no waylon without a willie i love that yeah that's awesome very cool you know greek I do. That's Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, eta, kappa, lambda, mu, nuke, omicron, pi, rho, sigma, tau, upsilon, phi, keep, c, omega. I had a Greek professor who used to say that one day I will be slumped over in a wheelchair in a nursing home just saying that, whispering it under my breath, just the Greek alphabet over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I took a few years of, of Greek, uh, specifically yeah, focusing in Koine Greek. And Koine, of course, is the marketplace Greek, which is a dead and defunct language. It's what the New Testament was written in primarily other than a couple of Aramaic words here and there. So I, I took it with a focus on that, and then I taught a few years of at, master's level. No, not at, at Georgia. Not I was at uh, Columbia International University. Oh, okay. So that's where the seminary is, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh-huh. Interdenominational seminary. So I did it there, and then I taught master's level uh, Koine for a while. And I've forgotten a ton of it, obviously, but yeah. yeah. And so what's interesting is you go to Greece, and you start you trying to use koine greek and they start calling you priest 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 <laughs> wow yeah it's because it's a dead language uh-huh. so but it easily translates over into modern greek okay so you have spent over 20 years in third world countries yeah. i think a lot of people would find this surprising yeah well, I mean, med- especially med- for a you know especially for a white redneck racist like me that votes conservative you know right. how dare i ever do something like that tell us about that 
I met my first wife in Nigeria. Went mm-hmm. all the way to West Africa to meet a white girl from Alabama. So there was that. <laughs> that was ninety five, and uh, yeah, I kept going back. First trip I ever went on was right after the fall of communism. Went to Moscow. Spent fifteen miserable days there with no darkness at all during the white nights. And we went over there to teach uh, a marriage seminar to these, you know, obviously formula, formerly communist people who didn't understand what it meant or even looked like to have a, a real marriage. Wow. Right? Because they were raised under a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we spent the better part of two weeks uh, teaching all-day marriage seminars to these couples, Russian couples, in a porn theater. <laughs> we had to be out by 4 o'clock because they had to go back to work. And I, now I look back at that, and is the germaphobe that I am thinking, holy crap, I can't believe. <laughs> Just can't believe we were sitting in there, and God only knows what filth. But, oh, uh, nasty. yeah, so I, I did that, and then from there on, I spent a lot of time in Honduras, Ecuador, uh, Nicaragua, Central America, uh, Guatemala, Honduras. Did I say that? Yeah. And so <laughs> a lot of time in Africa, different countries I could name, Togo, Benin, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, uh, Ghana, uh, South Africa, Kenya, Uganda. So, yeah, Southeast Asia, pretty much all of them. Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, China. It, it might have been easier to have you name yeah. off the yeah. countries you have not been yeah, to. Yeah, at that point, yeah. It's, I mean, I've, cr- I've crisscrossed the country. I mean, the only continent I haven't been on is Antarctica, and I'm starting to think about that. Mm. Well, that's cool. Yeah, sounds cold. No, Yeah, and I guess they... Uh they know how to stop the coronavirus down there. Maybe so. Yeah, I'm going to jump on a boat with Greta Thunberg. We'll go down there and drill some ice. What's your biggest takeaway from seeing these other countries around the world? Well, we're a first world, and we take it for granted. We do have privilege. There's nothing like uh, – I can remember the first time I was in Moscow, of all places. And don't get me wrong. Listen, man, they spent all of their money. You know, Through the Cold War, they spent all of their money on, on armament and defense. They didn't spend it on their culture or their people or anything else. I mean, it was a third-world country, honest to God. People were, people were not doing well under communism. Uh, the whole time I was there, I just wanted Waffle House. Wow. I wanted Waffle House you, you, because you can't – I ate McDonald's. They had just opened McDonald's there uh-huh. in a couple of locations, three locations in Moscow. I ate it five times in 15 days because it was like, oh, my God. We I, we had a Russian official, city official, who invited us to dinner one night, and we thought, okay, well, we'll eat some Russian cuisine. That might be good, you know, right? Some borshka. So we had vodka and fish sticks. <laughs> we had vodka and fish sticks, man. I'm it, on board it, with that, actually. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> the uh, – uh, that, that's the thing, you know, we go to all these places. I mean, I, I got dysentery in West uh-huh. Africa, lost 20 pounds in about three or four days one time, God. um, just from eating some bad chicken and you just, we just take it for granted, man. We're so blessed here. It was just so blessed. And I'm paraphrasing Mark Twain when I say nothing destroys prejudice like travel and nothing destroys travel like prejudice. Once you go out there and see the world for what it is, man, you come home with a whole different mm-hmm. viewpoint on humanity. And people don't, like, especially young people these days, they cannot understand how great this country is. Yeah. And they refuse to believe it. Yeah. You mentioned Waffle House. You're from mm. the South like me. Yeah. So uh, how do you get your hash browns at Waffle House? Scatter, smother, cover, chunked, and peppered. Wow, you get it all? Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily, I don't get the I don't get the uh, chili, and I don't always get the chunked, because I don't necessarily need the ham, but I definitely yeah. need the peppers. I like it scatter, smother, covered, and peppered for sure, See, every okay. time. And usually I'll get double browns. Okay. I'll double up on them. 
I'm a simple man. I just do the covered. Sorry. Do you? Yeah, that's okay. I just I like I like I like my uh, I like to kill whatever's in it, you know. So I put some jalapenos in there and then cover it with some Tabasco as well. There's nothing better though than that uh, Texas cheese steak melt with bacon. That's a good sandwich. Maybe I'll try that next time. It's a good sandwich. Okay. Very good. Very good. What is something you would like to accomplish in your lifetime? And I ask this question knowing that you have already accomplished quite a bit. Is there anything left out there that you're like, man, I still want to do this? I I think, and and this is one of those things that's against my will, but I just feel like it needs to happen. And that is I want to keep pushing and see that wall chip away and even in some parts get pushed down when it comes to the platform that is Hollywood. You know, I've got an agent in L.A. I've got a manager in L.A. They're all TV guys. They're all comedy guys. They've been very successful out there, but they're also very conservative. A lot of conservatives in Hollywood. I hate to see the platform that is Hollywood, that voice that is Hollywood, be totally sacrificed to the gods of this world, which I understand. That's what it belongs to. But I still think there's an opportunity to put the voice out there, and it's gotten so dark. I would love to see something, if not directly through that, I would love to see someone with some values that, that share it like us who can go out there and create a level of entertainment industry that rivals what's out there. Will it happen? I don't know. Maybe not. But that matters to me, and I wish it could happen. I know people are ready to write it all off, and maybe rightly so, but anyway, that's that's one of the things I'd like to see happen. I'd like to accomplish that. You know, I, I get scripts all the time they ask me to read and send in tape for parts just had one over the last week uh the cbs actually requested me by name and said we want chad to read for this part didn't get it didn't care didn't lose any sleep over it yeah you know my wife comes she's like i'm sorry you didn't get the part and i was like i don't care wow i don't care if it happens it happens that's cool it's not something i'm pursuing yeah but if it happens it happens my god my manager's pursuing it though so along that line there about your hopes for hollywood does that kind of go into the whole bucket list thing, or are there other things? I, I think it is. I, I think it's one of those, um, you know, I think that people live by, you know, I mentioned the identity, destiny, legacy. I think people live by vision, passion, discipline, and risk. You know, you get a vision for life, see beyond your boundaries. It, it wakes you up in the morning, gives you passion. Then you're willing to limit your life to control that, or to accomplish that vision. And then you risk something so uh, in order to accomplish the vision. So for me, I, I think it's one of those, I can see the vision of that. Um, you know, I'd love to do, I'd love to even have a bit part in a Clint Eastwood movie. Just because it's iconic and the guy ain't getting any younger. And I've got friends of mine who are in Clint Eastwood. They're doing bit parts in Clint Eastwood movies. Huh. You know, and I'm That's like, cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Put in a good word for me. Good luck. That'd I don't awesome. need to get paid. I'll fly myself out there. <laughs> I'll feed myself. That's awesome. So there, there's, there's those kind of things. You know, that's why I say I kind of have an evolving bucket list. I'll do things that I didn't think were on the bucket list, like meeting the president of the United States. Well, I didn't know I even wanted to do that, <laughs> right? Until you do it, then you're like, hey. Very cool. That was cool. When did that happen? That happened uh, about a year ago. Tell us yeah, about right it. about a year ago. Well, you know how it is when you get around the president of the United States, he, especially Donald Trump, <laughs> like he's in his own world. Right. He's in Trump world. <laughs> right. And so you don't just pop out the camera and start clicking pictures. And people think that when you see these visits to the White House and stuff that, that you just go and he's like, oh, yeah, come on in and sit down and stuff like that. No, you're in a line. I mean, you, you have to go through it and it's you're here and then you're gone. And I've seen people who have gone up and talked to the president, and then all of a sudden somebody just jump in front of them, and they're like, and then it's over with. They're like, you missed your shot. You didn't get a picture. You didn't even get a handshake. So there's things like that that happen, and you know, 
If I was black, I'd probably go more often. Like, because, you know, he's always got black folks in there. He's got all my <laughs> friends in there. I mean, David Harris Jr.'s been in there. Diamond and Silk's in there all the time. Terrence Williams in there all the time. Rob Smith's in there all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, Candace Owens, she's in there all the time. And I'm like, I'm the wrong freaking color, man. There it is. I'm the wrong freaking color. I love Trump, though. He's talking about minorities. We were we were with him at uh, the TPUSA event back in December. He's giving a speech, and Terrence Williams down on the front row, and he's like, "Oh no, the, the, you know the black community, you know, is all time low." They uh, tell him about it, Terrence. You know they love Terrence. They all love Terrence. Terrence, tell him. And I'm like, I'm the wrong color. That is awesome. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, other than wanting to be black, is there anything else that maybe people don't know about you uh, that that you could share with them? Uh, yeah, I you know. Um, uh, I've delivered babies all over the world. I've done a lot of medical work all over wow. the world. That's one of the things that people don't understand. There's no medical help. I used to travel with OBGYNs in these third world countries. Yeah, used to travel with surgeons. Well, when you're there, they're like, hey, I need you to put your finger right here. That's what I was going to ask you. Did you have, before you went on these mission trips, did you have any medical training no. background whatsoever? You were no. just thrown in there and said, no, put your finger here. It started out going to places like Honduras and doing uh, dental work. So I'd pull teeth. I'd work with these oral surgeons. We'd pull teeth. I mean, they just show you how to do it. Wow. And then you suture them up, give them a Tylenol, pat them on the ass, and say, we're going to vacate before that Tylenol wears off. <laughs> That's awesome. It's true. Because, I mean, you imagine they've never had an analgesic in their life. Right. And you just gave them some hardcore Tylenol, and they're going to take one. They're going to be feeling the best they've ever felt. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's something right? we take for granted. Perspective. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, vacate. Fold up the chairs, boys. Let's go. Get on the trucks. Because <laughs> they're going to be in a lot of pain. But no, they show you how to do it, and that's what we go do. That is really And so cool. then it led to, you know, now, now you're doing, now you're assisting with C-sections. I passed out one time in Nigeria. Uh, I, and I know I'm not squeamish at all, but I was in this hospital, quote unquote hospital, uh-huh. cement block walls. Uh-huh. I'm all scrubbed in. My buddy, he's OBGYN. This lady's laying there. She's you know naked on the table. She's pregnant. Cuts her open. This C-sections are so violent. They're so rough because they got to be so quick. Yep. Get the baby out. Mm-hmm. You know, and then get her stitched back up. And I was like, it was warm in there. There was nothing to. There was no way to breathe. And you're just in there with all of that. And it just got in my head. It got in my head, and I said, i got to excuse myself. I walked out. The hospital had a swinging screen door. I walked out the screen door out the back and literally stepped off a three-foot porch and just collapsed right there in the grass, and I was perfectly okay. The little little Nigerian nurses come running up. <laughs> oh, die, die, die. And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Propped my feet up on the bumper of a station wagon that was parked out there, let the blood get back to my head. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, my youngest was uh, delivered via C-section. And my experience was just, you know, they, they put up the put sheet the curtain, or whatever. Yeah. And just having them hold her up to me, mm-hmm. just for that two seconds, all right, there's your kid, <laughs> and just enough of the background going on, I I nearly did exactly what happened to you, and I only had to experience that for a couple seconds on the other side of a sheet. Yeah. I, that was, uh, that was yeah. intense enough for me. That was the only time I ever had an event like that. I was just... But, uh, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of things, man. A lot of death, too. I mean, we've, we've been in places where children have died waiting to get medical attention, and we've had to bury them, had to have a little funeral for them. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's it's just different. You know, you you go through West Africa and there's a dead body on the side of the road as you're driving through a city of 10 million people like Lagos, Nigeria, and they just have a members-only jacket covering his head. Nobody wants to touch the body because if you get caught touching the body, they're going to put you responsible, if not blame you, for the dead body. Oh, so they man. just leave it on the street to blow up and swell up in the sun it's just disgusting and it's and i'm like you take we take that for granted we think that it's weird that people are crapping on the streets in san francisco i have seen women in cote d'ivoire in in abidjan in soccer stadiums during an event just hike their skirt up and just stand over a drain and just pee standing up these are women they know how to aim that man Uh like that's a skill (laughs) i've seen people just i mean just defecate everywhere man and we talk we think that's odd in america Mm -hmm. that's just culture just people. No, thank you. My goodness. Well, yeah. Chad, oh, do me a favor. Mm-hmm. If we ever find ourselves in Atlanta at the same time during baseball season, oh, we're yeah. going to go to a Braves game together. We should just make a point of it. Okay, cool. All right, well, yeah. I'll be there in August. I, uh, I, I, ever since, I mean, I kind of rekindled my love for the Braves uh, when they hired Ron Washington. I've yeah. always been a fan of Wash, and so after he left the Rangers and kind of did his whatever public opinion yeah. rehab, he wound up with the Braves. I thought that was a good move. But I like the Braves. I like the organization. I always have. Such a young, exciting team. Yeah. Uh, good things on the horizon. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think Freddie's elbow is really healed? Uh, nope. I don't either. No. I, you know, Freddie's played, at this stage in the game, we still think of it as him being a young guy, and he is by technical terms, but he's played a lot of seasons. He's 30. A lot of stuff's he, going on there. The, he's the elder statesman of the team. Yeah. I mean, he he's the old Brian McCann, right? Mm-hmm. He's the, he's a, he's become the Chipper Jones in that regard. But yeah. I like Freddie. I do, too. We'll see what happens. I love everybody on that team, the yeah. Atlanta Braves. I've got I've I've made a number of friends in the in that play major league ball and all through social media, them following me and becoming fans if you want to call it that. They've become friends, so it's kind of been interesting to get an inside scoop on different ones. Now, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ozzy Albies, does he follow you? I don't think so. Well, you know what? Check that. If he does, you might want to send him a message. Um, Ozzy has me blocked, and I have no what? idea why. I have no idea why. I've never said anything critical about him, whether on the air or on Twitter, but somehow I got blocked. By Ozzy yeah. Albies about a year ago, and it's—I'm uh, not gonna lie—it hurts. Yeah, uh, that kind of happened. That <laughs> happened with me like two years ago with Nicole Arbor. You know, if you follow Nicole Arbor, she's a funny girl, real smart, mm. good political commentary, cultural commentary, and she blocked me. And I was like, "What the heck?" So, <laughs> so do? my buddy Aubrey Huff, that won two World Series with yeah, the Giants, okay, he nice. he was with her in Vegas, and I said, "Ask her <laughs> why she blocked me." So she sent me a message. She goes, I think my account was hacked. I have no idea. I don't I don't recall it. I'm like, okay, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Chad Prather, watchchad.com. That's the simple way. Everything's there. Right? Everything's, Everything's there. Music, there. podcast, podcast, merch, my merch, you name it. All kind of stuff. And what is your Twitter handle for everyone? At WatchChad. It's watch all about WatchChad. Yeah, WatchChad. Instagram's so, the same way. When in doubt. Just type in Watch Chad and you'll get to where you Nailed need to it. go. Yep. Chad Prather, everybody, of Blaze TV and so much more. Thank you for spending time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 